now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 11, called Lasting Impressions, written by Seth MacFarlane and directed by Kelly Cronin. There are no new reviews this week, but if you would like us to read one of your reviews on an upcoming episode, all you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a review below. You can send us emails at quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. Our Discord is thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord, where you can join in the conversation about the show and the podcast. And if you'd like to access Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we get into the episode itself, Katie has trivia. I have a lot of trivia today, so I'm just going to jump right into it. So there is a Macy's in this episode, and on the wall inside of Macy's, there's a sign for a designer company called B. Fayette, and that's a nod to show's digital effects supervisor, Brandon Fayette. Oh, I did not notice that. Mm-hmm. And also, during the party scene at Laura's house, mm-hmm. Brandon Fayette also makes a secret cameo as one of the guests. Mm, that I did know. So there's a lot of text that can be read if you pause the screen when they first get access to her phone. Mm-hmm. So some sleuths on the internet paused it and, and found some of these things. There's a group of people who are plainly upset that Laura left Greg as one of them. There is a man named Grayson telling her to send nudes. <laughs> um, there's another man named Jorge admitting he is still not over John Hamm. Uh, there's several friends talking about possibly moving to Los Angeles, California. And then there's also a reference to Facebook about a message probably posted by Greg. Oh. Yeah. There's a lot of detail in there. So I I thought it was really cool that you can pause the screen and there's actually stuff that someone thought of to add to that. So Mm. I wanted to give a nod to that. There was a piece of trivia, too, that I don't know if it's in your trivia, but it's one that visual effects producer Brooke Noska clued us in on. Mm Hmm. I do have that in the trivia. Awesome. Upon starting up the phone... Laura's phone displays the time and date as 143 on Saturday, March 21st. And the 143 is code for I love you, which is Brooke's way of saying that to the audience. I love that. That makes me happy. <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm. So there's a time capsule in this episode and the contents are en route to the Delta Pavanus Museum. Seems right. In reality, Delta Pavanus is a star in the Pavo constellation. It's only 19.22 light years away. Oh, that's it? Okay. Just just that. So as the Orville's top flight speed was established at over 10 light years per hour, the star is less than a day's journey from Earth. Hmm. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff because I'm like, oh, how long would it take to get there? Only 19.2 light years. It gives us an idea of what the time durations are for travel within the Orville universe. Mm-hmm. Jessica Zor, who plays Tala, and Jay Lee, who plays John Lamar, say that this is their favorite episode. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can see how it would be some people's I wouldn't be able to. I don't know them, so I don't know <laughs> necessarily that it would be theirs. But yeah. I can see people liking this one. According to Claire, tobacco smoking is long gone in the past of human history. However, in the episode Mad Idolatry, Ensign Jenny Turco smokes marijuana with John. Mm, so it's odd that they wouldn't be familiar with the practice of smoking in general. Yeah, but I mean, maybe there's just like the nostalgia. We got to try it at least once. We saw Bordis and Clyde and go down that slippery slope. So, yeah, 
I love Family Guy, and some have said that there is a nod to Family Guy in this episode. There is a point where they're doing Pictionary, and Carl is constantly guessing, it's Serial Man, a man who likes cereal, it's cereal. Um, and they're saying that bears similarity to Family Guy in their joking style, where you repeat things over and over. Yeah, and the Family Guy joke is something along the lines of, it doesn't matter how many times you say it, it doesn't make it any more correct if you just mm-hmm. keep repeating. And that's exactly what they keep doing here. And likewise, Gordon just keeps tapping on the drawing, not yeah, actually yeah. doing anything new. It didn't look like Caesar salad, by the way. No, it did not. (laughs) This was interesting because Laura gives Gordon a phone number on a napkin in the simulator. Mm. However, he leaves the simulator and he still has the napkin. Do we know the rules of the environmental sim compared to a holodeck? Because in a holodeck, it is absolutely true that you wouldn't be able to bring something out. Within an environmental simulator, maybe you can. Mm. Also, could it be argued that the napkin was synthesized instead of just created in the sim? Yes, it was created in the sim. But does the sim have the ability to synthesize material that could then be brought out? Very good questions that maybe we'll get answers for in the future. (laughs) (laughs) When they turn Laura's phone on, it still has Wi-Fi and a cell signal. Yeah, that shouldn't be the case. (laughs) Hey, the phone has been through a lot, and it's honestly a miracle it's still turned on. Very true. (laughs) There is a song that Laura sings in this episode, and it is called That's All I've Got to Say, and it's from a 1982 animated movie called The Last Unicorn. I have watched it. I've never heard of it. I would say it is not worth watching. (laughs) All right. I'm not going to add that one to the list, but I do think I'm going to search out the song and see what. Did you watch it as a kid? I watched it fairly recently for another podcast I do. Okay. There's a couple references to Star Trek The Next Generation in this episode. Gordon says he lost a bet when the simulated people questioned his uniform, like, are you wearing pajamas? And this is the same excuse Picard used in the episode The Last Goodbye. It's the first episode where the holodeck was featured prominently. Gordon also refers to his outfit as pajamas, which was the impression the people of the 19th century had of Data's uniform when he time traveled there. I will say that the TNG uniforms look a lot more like pajamas than the Orville ones do, because the Orville ones are a little more rigid looking around like Mm -hmm. the shoulders and they have like metal shoulder pads and stuff. So, yeah, they don't look like pajamas, but at the same time, who's to say? Right. One man's uniform is another man's pajamas. (laughs) There's another episode from Star Trek The Next Generation called Booby Trap, and it's where Geordi has the computer create a simulated interpretation of a woman from various data sources, and this led to some complicated feelings. Mm -hmm. So search those two episodes out if you want to see some of the similarities between this episode and Next Gen. There are a couple guest stars in this episode And the main one is Leighton Meester, who plays Laura Huggins. She is also known for playing Blair Waldorf in Gossip Girl, which I watched all of, by the way. And Jessica Zor also starred in Gossip Girl with her. The second guest star is Tim Russ. He plays Dr. Sherman on the Orville, but he is best known for his role on Star Trek Voyager as the Vulcan Tuvok. Yes, and interestingly in Voyager, it was cool to see a Vulcan in a position that wasn't a normal Vulcan position. He was the security officer aboard the Voyager, Mm -hmm. which 
is not something that'd be like, oh, yeah, Vulcan's definitely going to be the head of security. But he was. He was. And he was good. Yeah. So that's all my fun facts and guest stars for this episode. All right. We begin in the briefing room with historian Dr. Sherman and the senior staff. Sherman is showing them the contents of a time capsule from 2015 that was recently unearthed in Albany, New York. The Orva will be transporting these items to a museum on Delta Pavonis. Bordas takes particular interest in the cigarettes, while Gordon is more intrigued with a cell phone. Lamar says that he'll try to recover the data in the phone with his team in engineering, and they manage to restore power and gain access. Gordon finds an archive of text messages and then uncovers a video from the phone's owner, Laura Huggins. There's already trouble right away when Gordon's just like, he's already in like fallen for her. As soon as he saw the video, yeah, there was a little bit of interest above and beyond the norm. I don't know if I should bring it up right now, but I'm going to. What do we feel is like creepy level? I think his current level is okay because he's just like, oh, she seems cool. Yeah. And I I get it. Like you watch a TV show, you're like, oh, that actor's cute. It's kind of like that in Mm -hmm. a way. But just the way he was longingly looking at the phone, I thought was very interesting. Mm. But it is a good way to show the audience like, hey, this is going somewhere. Yeah. Although at that point, you could say that his fascination is a combination of her and the time period that it's all taking place in. Because he's Mm -hmm. never seen a scene of 2015 necessarily outside of like movies. This is just somebody's, at least not that we're aware of that he's seen anything like this before. But what if it was Jerry from New Jersey's phone? Are you saying that would he be as fascinated? Yes. Probably not. Mm hmm. That's just uh, I was just curious what your thoughts would be on that. Like, because it is it's very much like, oh, there's a pretty girl in this phone and I want to I want to know more kind of thing. From a male perspective, I can understand what's going on here. (laughs) Dr. Sherman is impressed by the amount of data that the phone has provided on a human life 400 years in the past. And Gordon is mesmerized by the communications. I did think the bit was funny where Dr. Sherman sees the WTF and misinterprets it as wireless telecommunication facility. (sighs) Like, given the context of the time, be like, no, you're not really giving it the context of the time. My husband might kill me for telling this story. But he was on Twitter the other night and he doesn't use Twitter all that much. And someone tweeted NGL and it was in reference to the 2020 Super Bowl halftime show. Mm. And so he's like, oh, he said, nice going, ladies. And it's like, no, no, it means not going to lie. Right. And I just it reminded me of that. That is the issue with the way that we communicate shorthand, though, is because Mm -hmm. out of context, People will give it whatever context they think applies to it. So while people think that they're just being more efficient about communication, there is a breakdown of what you're actually trying to say. Mm -hmm. In his quarters, Bordas synthesizes a cigarette and shows it to Clyden. The two begin smoking and are very pleased by the sensation it provides. So they promptly synthesize 500 more. I worry for them. It was immediate nicotine addiction. Oh, yes. And I mean, in our society, tobacco is so bad for you. It just is. I'm, I'm a medical coder and I see how badly nicotine screws up the body. So the whole time I'm like, no, please don't go down this hole. Don't go down it. And um, it is very funny, though, because they're just chain smoking right out the gate. Yeah. And 
especially with what Clyden says, where he's like, I feel like I've been standing my whole life and I just sat down. Uh huh. That's terrifying. Well, it comes out later that they're very much affected by nicotine. Yeah. But it is, I've never smoked a cigarette, so I don't know what that's like. Same. But I mean, I just can't imagine it feels like that, though. But maybe it does. Maybe it does from Auckland's. And that's why so many people are addicted to it. Maybe. <laughs> Gordon enters the environmental simulator and creates a new program by connecting the phone and having the computer read the data to generate a simulation of Laura and her life in 2015. When the simulation begins, he finds himself in the middle of a party at Laura's apartment. He introduces himself and soon learns about her recent breakup. Despite her passion for music, Laura is unhappily working a job as a sales manager at Macy's. As the two continue to chat, she ends up inviting Gordon to a local pub for later that week to watch her perform. This is like a happening party. It is. And I was surprised when she was like, oh, this is my place. It's small. I'm like, it's small. You yeah. fit a lot of people in a small apartment. There's some big rooms in that place. Yeah. And it was really nice. I just remember watching this episode and being like, that would be to me, a very large party. Like Maybe I'm getting older, but I'm like, whoa, there's a lot happening. But I, it would be like stepping into a different world. But it'd also be very similar to what they do in the mess hall, I would feel like. In a way, yeah. It's just a gathering of people. Yeah. In a way, it feels almost forbidden. Like what he's doing is a, like he knows he probably shouldn't be doing this, mm -hmm. but he was curious enough about the girl that he did this. Yeah. And he definitely feels justified in it based on just like looking around, kind of experiencing. He has that. Oh, I'm just checking out what her life was like. I'm doing research. But is he, though? A little bit, but not nearly as much as he's convinced himself that he is. Yeah. One of the things about this episode specifically that I was like, because Gordon this isn't the first time Gordon has like expressed, I don't want to say loneliness, mm -hmm. but like a desire to have something more. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, I just kind of, when I watched this, I was like, oh, I felt for him, but I was also like, it made me sad because I was like, I know that it's stemming from a place of loneliness. Yeah. And it's like, like in your head, you kind of go like the friend who's like, this is not a good path for you to go down because you're going to only get hurt. Right. It's when your friend starts dating somebody that you know is bad for them. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it just because they don't want to be alone. Yeah. Except this time it's fake people in yeah. a simulator. <laughs> Back in engineering, Gordon is talking to John about how impressive the simulation is and how much of a rush it was to be a part of it. John makes sure to remind him that none of it's real, which Gordon is noticeably bummed about. Honestly, kudos to John for being like the voice of reason yeah. and kind of saying, hey, this isn't something you should throw yourself into. And I feel like this crew in general does a good job about like telling it like it is to their friends or their co-workers on the ship. And what other kind of reaction would Gordon have expected? It's kind of got like red flags all over it. Oh, it absolutely does. He's wrapped up emotionally and can't see it from an outside perspective anymore. Yeah. So it makes sense that everybody else around him is like, no, this isn't real. Mm -hmm. We kind of see what you're doing here, and it's a little uncomfortable, but yeah, it's it's not real. Yeah. There is the um kind of like mini monologue that Gordon goes into here when he's talking to John, where he talks about how we look at images of people in the past and think that they don't matter. Yeah. But their world was just as real to them as ours is to us now. And I thought that was just kind of a really nice thing. And I think that is 
that is the research part of it. So he is actually getting something out of it aside from just the interest in Laura. He is getting the perspective of what it was like to be alive in 2015. So I don't think that's lost on him, but it's definitely not his focus. And that is true because I look at old pictures from World War II or something like that. And you think about it's all grainy to us, but that was their reality. Yeah. And I thought when he said that thought, it was a very poignant way to express like, even if you see like footage from the 80s or you watch a movie from the 80s in that time, that world was so vibrant to them. And to us, it's like, look at how old that is and mm-hmm. look at that. But it it is easy to forget that that was their reality. And yeah. I do I do think from that perspective, he is being a little bit more investigative than he seems to be because his focus does seem to be on Laura. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's he's very much enamored with her. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like just from the get go. And you can tell that he's got definite inklings of feeling starting. Mm. I look forward to the day, though, where I'm sure we won't see like a holodeck or an environmental simulator in our lifetime. But that doesn't mean we wouldn't necessarily be able to have a virtual reality recreation because our VR tech is very, very good. And we could get to a point where we're kind of experiencing a past reality as if it were our present time. I've never actually tried VR ever, so I'm curious what that would be like. It also scares me, though, because I feel like we already use so much to escape our own reality. How much more do we need, though, from like even a historical perspective? I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on this that could probably take up a lot of time. But like, (laughs) say someone was like, oh, I'm going to show you a battle from World War Two. And you're there. Like, does that person then get the PTSD because Mm. you're experiencing that fear? Sure. So I always wonder about like the ethical side of things, too, because people fall in love and marry bridges in our (laughs) society now. (laughs) Like there's going to be people who want to marry their VR ladies. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or guys and stuff. And so that's just something where. I do wonder how that would shake out in the future because like Bordas had a problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's very easy to, I guess, escape reality with things that aren't. Yeah. Just lose yourself in something that feels better. Mm -hmm. Tala calls Grayson to the bridge and shows her that Bordas has started smoking while on duty. Kelly dismisses him and assures Tala that she and Ed will talk to him about it. I don't know why no one said to him, like, you can't smoke on the bridge. Yeah, like, shut like, that down immediately. Don't even play around with it now. Be like, Portis, what are you doing? No, you can't do that. That's not good for everybody around us, including you. But it was like, hey, your shift's done soon, so you can just head on out. I feel like I'm so sensitive to cigarette smoke, and I've been around it. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder, like, all of them who've never smelt it before, if they're just like, this is noxious. Yeah, I'm also surprised there isn't some sort of fire suppression system. That the cigarette would trigger. Mm -hmm. Although maybe he's so addicted to it that he's bypassed that system. (laughs) He's like probably gone into the computer and disabled it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Gordon returns to the simulator and enters the pub where Laura is on stage performing. When she's done, the two grab a table and chat. She talks about wanting to be able to make it in music, if only to be remembered for something. Gordon talks about taking singing lessons, and she suggests that they sing together sometime. After a bit of back-and-forth flirtation, Laura gives him her cell number and invites him and some of his friends to a game night at her place. I don't really know how to, like, analyze this scene besides the fact that he just, he's clearly falling for her. Mm -hmm. But he has to know that she's not real. I'm sure he does, but I think it's very easy to get wrapped up in it. Yeah, but when you leave the simulator, like, wouldn't that just be, like, a shock to your system in a way? 
I would think so. It is like walking through a portal into another reality. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be sobering enough to go, oh, this is not real. Mm. But I think if you're lonely enough and you're wanting something so badly to work out, like, say, Dr. Finn and Isaac, mm-hmm. you just make it work. I mean, she's very charismatic. She is. And so I can understand where it's it's flowing naturally and she's just she seems so real. And I think he's just kind of pushing aside the fact that he knows that she's not. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's in denial a little bit. And I think, like you said, she is so charismatic. I think one of the reasons that this episode works is that the two of them have a really great chemistry together. Mm -hmm. It's just weird to think about. He walked into the simulator and she's just like singing on stage. And then it's like they're hanging out at the bar. And he in some ways seems kind of like awkward. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he seems like I think maybe the best way is he seems nervous and maybe out of practice a little bit. A little nervous. Yeah, a little out of practice and also kind of a man out of time because this is not his reality. This is another time period and people do behave a little bit differently. The vernacular is a little bit different. So there are just enough differences to make him feel like he's someone that doesn't necessarily belong there and he's trying his best to fit in. The other thing, too, is when he says, oh, my dad builds space stations for kids. And like, it's just I feel like that alone would be difficult to just kind of hide Mm. long term like you can be like i'm actually a space fan which he is so it's like challenging because i like i root for gordon and i just know it's gonna end Mm -hmm. in heartbreak yeah i think it's also too that people in this time period in the orville's time period probably have become so good at completely falling into the reality of a simulation We see Bordas do it over and over again with different scenarios. I bet even when they're doing something like the uh, Western game that we saw them playing in another one, they just kind of fully commit and then you just start buying into it because imagine if everything around you felt that real. So I'm someone that has used VR. Yeah. And even just by putting, I'm fully aware the entire time that I have a thing on my face in front of my eyes and yet it tricks your brain. To the point where if you step off a cliff and you start falling, you get that adrenaline rush more than you would in any other normal video game where you can see the screen and everything around you. You get that Mm -hmm. sensation of falling and all your fight or flight things kick in because your brain is buying what you're putting in front of it. And I think this is a lot of that kind of same idea. Yeah. Well, it's similar. I play a lot of scary games and people are always like, you should play those in VR. And I'm like, I don't I think that would take it. To a point where it is stressful to be even from like this perspective of through a screen, like removing the walls, removing the barriers, essentially, and then immersing yourself in something is so different than watching it. Yeah. Yeah. You're controlling somebody, but it's different when you are the active participant. Yeah. I think as much as he knows it's not real, the simulator is so overwhelmingly convincing that it's easy to fall into that. Yeah. Gordon synthesizes a cell phone for himself links it to the Laura program, and begins texting with her. He then steps into Mercer's office and invites him, Kelly, John, and Tala to Laura's game night, which they're all a bit confused by, but agree to. Yeah, he's very excited. And I it's that thing where like, I was like the concerned friend, like, mmm. Mm. And they're trying to be supportive. It's a little cringy. The weirdest thing is kind of the way in which he asks them. I don't think it's a weird thing to be like, 
hey, come check out this simulation because you should see what the phone was able to generate based on the data. And it's fascinating. But he comes in like, who wants to come to my group date? (laughs) Yeah, like Laura invited me. It's like, oh, it's not about the research anymore. Yeah. It's like my friend Laura, who I'm trying to date, is saying I should bring some people. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting because he could just essentially make people up in the simulator to bring. He could, but he wants his friends to meet her. Yeah. Kelly then brings Ed to Bordis and Clyden's quarters to find them both smoking. He insists they all go to sickbay, where Dr. Finn reports that Mocklin biology is extremely susceptible to nicotine addiction. She can create an injection to help them, but it may take days. And in the meantime, they need to stop smoking before it gets worse. They are so cantankerous and it's hysterical. I've been around people in my personal life who smoke a lot. And when they can't have a cigarette, that is what they get like. Mm -hmm. And so it was just it's funny because Mocklins are already kind of aggressive to begin with. And then when you add nicotine withdrawal on top of that, it um. It's very funny to watch because they just kind of yell at each other, but it's not like they're mad at each other. They're just they need their next hit. Yeah. Bordis's nonchalant attitude. Anytime he's confronted about the cigarettes, he's just like, what? <laughs> like, what's the problem? Yeah. It's hilarious here. It's hilarious throughout the entire episode. Wouldn't you think the synthesizer, though, would have like a built in thing that's like no cigarettes, but you can make them. I thought it was interesting when they lit their cigarettes, too, that they used his um, the blaster. Yeah, the blaster to light it. And I feel like maybe there should be some safeguards built in like they could have just gone in. Someone could have gone to the synthesizer and just adjusted maybe the program so that. I don't know. Maybe that takes away freedom. And so, like, it's just if you want to smoke yourself. Maybe also Bordis has such a high clearance on the ship. Yeah. It's cigarettes, though. Maybe someone should have been like, I don't know. I just it's very intriguing. In the simulator, the crew is playing Pictionary with Laura and her friends and everyone in the crew except for Gordon seems annoyed. As they leave, they agree to meet in the mess hall in the morning to discuss it. After the game night, Gordon helps Laura get over her fear of flying when the two of them kiss. It was really awkward to watch because, I mean, I really loved the serial man thing. Mm hmm. That bit makes me so happy. But even their reactions to just like what's going on is it's because it's not about like check out this world that we we wouldn't have known except for this phone. It's I'm on a date with Laura and we're playing Pictionary. And then when he says military time and Trisha goes or. Yeah. What is that? Some sort of hipster thing. And he just goes, no, Trisha. (laughs) It's just. You can tell that it is just red flags and it's people picking up on that. But when you're so blinded by something or you're trying to make something work, you just don't look at those things. Mm -hmm. And that's what Gordon's doing. He is. Although even given that, I am a little surprised that the crew had such a bad attitude toward it. I understand that Gordon's behavior is making them feel uncomfortable, but they're the crew of an exploratory vessel that's being given this experience inside of another time in their own history, you would think they would be more curious about it instead of just being like, I don't like this game or I don't like this situation. Like go along with it. Not even just for Gordon's benefit for now. And you can talk to him about it later, but like put yourself into it and experience what that time period was like. Maybe they've never played Pictionary. I think the way I headcanon that is maybe they've been there for five hours. Maybe they've seen some weird stuff throughout the night with Gordon and it's gotten to a point 
where they're like, okay, there's a problem. And so they maybe have reached their wits end with it. That could definitely be the case. Yeah, because I agree. It'd be like, all right, we're playing Pictionary with, yes, people who have been long gone, but maybe some things transpired throughout the date night. Maybe. And it's five hours later and they're like, I need to go to bed. I got to get up early. If that's the case, I get their attitude. Yeah. (laughs) The next morning, Gordon is sleeping alongside Laura, but is woken by a call from Grayson to inform him that he's late for his shift. He rushes to the bridge and apologizes. Bordis is loudly chewing gum to help deal with his nicotine addiction though he admits it's not helping at all. Gordon then gets a call from Laura on his cell phone, which he takes quickly before letting her know that he's at work. Oh, this made me uncomfortable because it's making him miss work. And then he got a phone call on the bridge. It just, it it was kind of one of those things that's just like, oh, honey, like it's kind of, I have sympathy for him, but it's affecting his life and it's not real. Yeah. Granted, same thing happened with Bordis and his porn addiction. But we also knew that was a problem, too. Yeah. So that was one of the things where it's just it makes me inwardly just go, oh, man, it's it's becoming more of a problem. And it's it's affecting the fact that he needed to fly the ship out. Yeah. And he was not there because he was in the simulator. Yeah. And it's weird to think that he was sleeping in the simulator all night. Yeah. With the program on and everything. That's it's a little odd. Yeah. We'd also previously wondered what would have happened if Claire had ended the simulation when Ty had climbed that tree. Oh, yeah. Now we know why she didn't. (laughs) He would have fallen out. Yep, because it didn't protect Gordon from falling from the bed. No. Simulations, I would love to. I would love an episode with more of that explored just because I want to know the science behind it, Mm -hmm. which I know from like a show perspective might not be a highly rated episode, but I would love to just know just about the background of how it works, what its functions are. And I feel like we see little glimpses of that, like with this episode where he falls out of the bed. And there are ways to do that narratively. You could have an episode where a large majority of it takes place in the simulator, or you can do something similar to where TNG did the Moriarty stuff. Mm -hmm. And it brought it into a part of the story that included not just the simulator, but also some moral questions and some stuff going on on the ship itself. So there are absolutely ways to kind of explore the science while you're telling a story about it. Mm-hmm. In the mess hall, Ed, Kelly, John, and Tala discuss how strange the previous evening was. Gordon approaches them to get their input, and they tell him that they don't think what he's doing is healthy. He gets defensive and argues that she's just as real as Isaac, or at least real enough for him, even if she's not flesh and blood. Like, I literally am speechless by it, because it's, I'm just going to say it. Seems like there's a lot of lonely people on the Orville. It does. So it makes me think from more of a philosophical perspective, like removed poverty. Everybody has food now and we're known for our reputation, but it hasn't removed basic human problems like not having companionship. And it seems like it's a big problem. Like there is issues with Ed and Kelly's marriage and then Dr. Finn and Isaac. And now Gordon's constantly searching for somebody and John... Well, he's a ladies man, but like it just seems like relationships in the future are just as broken as they are in our reality, mm-hmm. which goes to show that you can have all these other things figured out. But our core human things you can't fix. Mm. It's interesting, too, to hear their arguments because they both make good points mm-hmm. like Gordon's argument of, oh, yeah, Isaac could be fooling us all that he is self-aware that could all be part of his program, 
we don't know. Yeah. Ed's counterpoint is just as valid where, well, we can't frame everything by perspectives and this and that. So yeah. I can empathize with Gordon's side of the argument, but logically the crew is right here. Oh yeah. I feel like same thing with Dr. Finn when, like we had talked about Kelly getting mad at Isaac for getting all the data he needed and, and dumping her essentially. Mm -hmm. But she was the one who was like, hey, Dr. Finn, he's a robot. And at least I appreciate the honesty from the whole group to be like, hey, this is not a healthy thing for you to do. Take a step back and maybe evaluate what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to, I don't know, like if I was in that position, like in Gordon's position, I don't think I would allow myself to get there. But I don't know if you're lonely enough. Maybe you do. It's hard to say. And the, the thing you can never, ever do, which I don't think the crew necessarily knows, even though they're trying to convince Gordon it's not a healthy thing to do, you can't argue with somebody's emotions. You just can't. Mm -hmm. Logic and emotion are two completely different thought pathways. So you can't argue against someone's emotional response to something by arguing logic with them. And that's the conflict they're all running into. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like I said, people literally marry bridges mm -hmm. and things in our society now. This, at least, is a little different. It's it's like, I don't know, it creates an interesting question. It does. And I, I appreciate that they're exploring that. Yeah, I do feel like this is probably more prevalent in this future mm -hmm. than just this episode or just this instance. And I think there's a lot of people who are lonely who just probably have a simulation to help with that loneliness. I think about in the future, though, simulators would be amazing for taking care of elderly people. Yeah. Like just taking care of them at the end of life and things like how simulators could solve a lot of problems that we have in our society right now. But I've only ever seen it used in more of a fun kind of way. Yeah. Well, it's it's not as interesting to show us a story involving the ways that it could be used as a tool. It's much more interesting to use it to explore different moral and ethical questions and stuff like that. Yeah. That's just something I thought of and appreciate simulation episodes that kind of explore more than just, hey, look, we're in this reality for like a fun little game. Mm -hmm. Like I like when it's more involved in the story. Totally. Bordis finds Clyden smoking in an airlock, and the two argue about his inability to quit. Clyden then finds a cigarette in their quarters, which Bordis had hidden. He insists on knowing where the others are hidden, and Bordis reveals many more. They then agree to watch each other closely. It was really funny watching him walk around and how he picked up the cigarettes and just, like, flung them up. And they're just mad at each other. I mean, I get it. They're withdrawing from nicotine. Yeah. Some of them, both of them, are cheating and still smoking. <laughs> yep. And the fact that he filled a pillow, that would have been so uncomfortable if you sat on it. Yeah. It like that would have been so like there's cigarettes like in this. <laughs> yeah. I found it funny that Clyden's clothing that he's wearing here kind of resembled a smoking jacket. Oh, I guess I didn't notice that. I, I can't say that I'm a connoisseur of smoking jackets. I'm not either. It's just the thing that you always saw like Hugh Hefner in. Mm -hmm. That was his kind of stereotypical look. So I'll have to watch it and see like. I don't know, just see how it compares to Hugh Hefner's style. Yeah. When Gordon returns to the simulator, he finds Laura talking with her ex-boyfriend, Greg. She tells him that she and Greg have decided to try and work things out. Heartbroken, he grabs a drink in the mess hall with John. He says that he checked the data in the phone and should have seen it coming because the data says they got back together. John says it's all for the best because he was living in a fantasy. 
it's kind of weird because then it, this just shows you how much of a simulation it is mm-hmm. because it's just like he left and came back and the next scene is her getting back together with Greg. Yeah, there's no real like movement of time. Like even when mm-hmm. she was like, oh, come see me at the pub next week. For him, that could have been immediate. Yeah. Like he could have just been advanced to next Tuesday. Wouldn't she or he run out of scenarios at a specific point and stuff would just repeat? Yeah. If if the stuff with Greg hadn't had happened, I think that would have been the case because by the end of the episode, we do get to the point where she was putting her phone into the time capsule. That would have been the end of data. Yeah. So I don't know if he could have even been extrapolate from here to the computer. I don't know if there would have been enough with the computer to work with. So either either scenario they could have gone with would have been interesting. But I understand why they did this, because it works for the thing that the episode's trying to convey. Yeah. There was that line, too, that Gordon had where he's like, they always go back to their boyfriends, which means that apparently Gordon's gone through this many times before. And I was like, oof, I can relate. Yeah, and that's that's like my history is they always oh. go back to their boyfriends. I thought it was very cold. That I mean, granted, it is a simulation. It's getting data from the phone, but that he comes back after they just slept together. And she's like, I'm getting back together with Greg. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, damn, that was just like instantaneous. No thought for Gordon or. I don't think that's on her. I don't think that's on Greg. No, I think that's based purely on the data because the data doesn't include Gordon. So at this Mm -hmm. point, regardless of what else is happening, she gets back together with Greg. And again, like you said, kind of enforces or lets us know even more that yeah this is a simulation and things need to happen a certain way no matter how much you want to play around in it the thing is if he did just decide to be like just put laura as my girlfriend in these other scenarios he would be in control of it Mm -hmm. and i think that that would make it less i guess spontaneous and that's what kind of happens as he moves forward anyway Mm -hmm. clearly not satisfied gordon once again returns to the simulator but this time deletes Greg from the program. When he enters, he finds Laura working at Macy's. He learns that the two of them are still a couple. She's due for a promotion, but she never pursued singing or performing. When he asks the computer why, it responds that the absence of Greg removed that part of her life. It's interesting. I don't know. It just felt wrong. It felt wrong up until this point, Mm -hmm. but when he goes, I want to delete Greg, it just felt more wrong. Like, there's desperation. Yeah, and that's something that Kelly touches on later. Yeah. When she even says the point at which you started interfering with it, it stopped being her, whatever of it was her, and it started being a simulation not just for them, but now for you too, because you're taking control. Yeah. Kelly finds Gordon in his quarters, once again looking over the phone data. It confirms that Greg was the one who encouraged her to sing. Kelly then shows Gordon an eye trick that Ed taught her, pointing out that it's a characteristic of hers that only exists because of him. She further explains that as people grow and learn, we're all shaped by the totality of our relationships and can't just pick and choose what parts of our past to keep. She concludes by saying that while most people are forgotten, this particular person managed to reach across centuries to help a guy fall in love. While I can appreciate that sentiment, it's incredibly sad. It is incredibly sad because, yeah, she reached across centuries and Gordon fell in love. But the thing is, is she was never his to begin with. She wasn't, but she did affect someone's life in a certain way. She left an imprint on someone's life. And is that 
any different than somebody who goes and makes a movie or records a song that even after they're long gone, that movie or that song leaves an imprint on a person just based on what that thing was. So you could argue that the simulation compiled of that data was really, it was a form of entertainment. It wasn't this life that was supposed to be lived. But Gordon participated in this form of entertainment, got attached to it. It resonated with him in a way that left an impact on him. I think it's different because like if you watch a movie, you know you're watching a movie. Mm -hmm. But but since he was actively participating and falling in love, like we watch a movie, I I feel like we don't fall in love with a character so much that it would affect our lives as much as this had affected his. True. And I, I do think like, I feel like that's where the lines blur, where if it's entertainment or if it's not entertainment. Mm. And I feel like for him, it wasn't entertainment. No, but do you feel like it's disrespectful to her in any way? I kind of do. Yeah? Yeah, because it's it was her life and he inserted himself into it. True. Granted, it's a simulation in a way, the fact that they slept together and stuff, it just feels a little invasive. Yeah, I understand that. So for me... I'm sure her intentions of putting the phone in the time capsule was to say, look at my life. Right. I don't care if you read my text, but I don't believe she was consenting to come into my world, sleep with me, and then also essentially like try to force yourself to be my boyfriend. Yeah. But at the same time, too, she actually wasn't really involved. Like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing because yeah, where we don't understand this technology fully. We don't know how it would impact people. We don't know how real it would feel. Mm-hmm. And it it's, yes, to use someone's image in that way is very odd. Mm-hmm. And I think there are certain things within our society now where some of those issues are starting to come up, where people are using images of other people to do certain things. And it is creepy. Yeah. And I don't know how they view it from this perspective, like in their time. So it's it's, it's weird. Yeah. The thing like you, I think about now, say someone's in love with Brad Pitt mm-hmm. and we had simulators. Someone could just extrapolate Brad Pitt into their reality right. and just do whatever. Like it would be something that that would be invasive to me, too, because I, I don't know. There's just a lot of things that you don't have control of, like. In our society now, there's like all those deep fakes mm-hmm. and stuff like that, that they're worrying their people are going to do on political things. And I feel like in a way, there is a blurry area with this where it could be, yeah, it's entertainment purposes. Let's go in the Wild West and mm-hmm. shoot up some some things. But then there's like Bordis using it for porn. Yeah. And then Gordon falling in love with a girl based on her cell phone data. So I think that there is... I guess a lot of it comes down to the intentions, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Gordon's, like, malicious or... I agree. I think intentions are a huge part of it. So, I just think it's a gray area. It is. It's absolutely a gray area, but that's why I think it's interesting to explore. Mm-hmm. Bordis and Clyden are having dinner in their quarters, but are both irritable and arguing due to nicotine withdrawal. It leads to a physical conflict in which the table is broken and food is everywhere. Dr. Finn enters and stops them to inform them that she's finished the injection. The withdrawal was just too much. And I mean, I, I think that you can get to that point where the irritability is just so intense and Mocklins are already an aggressive species or race. So it's just it was bound to happen. I was so thrown when Bordis just punched him straight in the face. Mm-hmm. Also, who cleans that up? I was wondering, like, 
Are there robots? Did they clean that up? There was food everywhere. Yeah, it was a huge mess. <laughs> I imagine they would have had to take care of that afterwards. Mm -hmm. Once again in the simulation, Gordon has restored Greg to the program. Laura is back performing at the pub, so he joins her on stage to sing with her. Anyway, I love you. That's all I have to tell you. tells her that he got a job offer across the country as a test pilot. When she asks him to keep in touch, he promises her that she will not be forgotten. The two then take a photo on her phone before it goes into the time capsule. The end. This is silly of me, but I'm like, did the picture end up on the phone? Of course it didn't, no. Katie. It didn't. <laughs> but it was a nice little bookend yeah. to it. And he seems like he understands now, but he did let himself kind of like get lost in it. And I think the episode is more about Gordon learning things than it is about kind of exploring the morality of whether this was a thing he should have actually been doing. I think it's more just a character growing episode for Gordon. Yeah, I, I think it is more character development for Gordon and more insight into him than about the cell phone. Okay. What is your big takeaway from this episode? It's not one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. It never has been. I watched it the first time and I felt the same way. I understand the meaning behind it and that he's so lonely and that this is just an exploration into Gordon more than it is about him falling in love in a simulation. It's just a deeply sad episode for me mm. because it's... It echoes more of like the loneliness of the people in space in this future than about like, oh, he probably shouldn't have done that with the cell phone. Like it makes me think more of those things that life is still very complicated in the future. And there's a lot of bigger problems than just war with the krill or the Kalon. I mean, it seems like there is a rampant loneliness problem out in space and companionship. And I wonder why that's still so bad well if we frame it by looking at just the size of the orville crew it's a crew of roughly 300 mm -hmm. not all of them are even adult so when you're looking for a prospective partner your pool is very low yeah 
But you look at Ed and Kelly. Yes. They, that was a problem before. Yeah. Rela- it seems like relationally, it's a problem in the future. But I think I just, I walked away from the episode kind of going, why did nobody step in sooner? He was very open about what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I wish somebody had said like, hey, we need to sit down. Similar to how like when Bordis is smoking on the bridge, just tell Bordis to stop smoking. Like, I do feel like sometimes people are complicit in allowing things to go to a point where it becomes harder to step away. I agree. But at the same time, I also can see the side of them, even though that no one really said it in the episode. I can see them saying we have to let him learn on his own. Yeah, because if you interrupt someone who's emotionally invested with a thing and you're making it forbidden, like we've seen that happen in so many other stories before where that just makes him want that thing that much more. But if he sees it through and runs into the end of that program, which they would have known it can only go so far, then he's going to have to learn at some point. Yeah, it's a complicated episode for me Mm -hmm. because another thing is I felt like Gordon was a little creepy in it. He was at certain points. Yeah, it felt invasive. I guess maybe from my perspective, if somebody did that with my phone in the future, I'd be dead, but I probably wouldn't be thrilled about it. Yeah. And so the way I look at it is probably maybe more practical than I should in being like, it's an episode about falling in love. Yeah. And transcends time. I think I look at it more of it from a perspective of like how it would be realistically. Mm -hmm. I guess it's just when I first watched this episode and even rewatching it now, I just... It always leaves me lacking something. Mm. I think it, it's still every episode of the Orville has something I love about it. Yeah. I just think that this one's probably not at the top of my list. Okay. That's fair. What about you? I'm a little different. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I kind of, I was like nervous about this because I'm like, I think I know how Rob feels about this episode. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. So I, I've told you this before and I was a little worried coming back to this episode too because I really like it. Mm-hmm. At least my memory of it was very, very strong. And having rewatched it, I can say definitively, this is my favorite episode, not just of this season, but of the entire series so far up to this point. Mm-hmm. And I think I knew that. So I was like, I was telling Mark, I was like, I don't want to upset Rob. <laughs> but you are welcome to your opinions. There's nothing wrong with that. First, every scene with Bordas and Clyden is gold. Mm-hmm. They are so good in this episode. And it's. It's them being on the same team and yet adversarial at the same time. And their dry delivery of everything is just hilarious. Yeah. That was a nice way to break it up. It was. To have like a little bit of, I mean, it's technically fun, even though they're becoming addicted to tobacco. (laughs) Yeah. But we know like Claire's working on the injection. They're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So everything leading up to that point is just funny. Uh, Most importantly, though, this episode hits me emotionally more than any of the others Mm -hmm. for me few things are more tragic to explore in a story than impossible love and despite that tragedy the episode still manages to take an optimistic view when dealing with that Mm -hmm. so yes we feel bad for gordon but that shifts a bit when kelly talks with him at the end and highlights the impact that laura will continue to have on his life so even though the simulation of her wasn't quote unquote real Gordon's emotions were and what he learned from her and about himself is still valuable. Yeah. And I I mean, I think the way Kelly kind of buttoned it up at the end, I liked her. I don't want to say speech, but her was kind of a speech. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that that was a very compassionate way to speak to Gordon about it. And even though to kind of I know it could be considered invasive what Gordon was doing. 
But at the same time, even though the simulation is wearing her face, who are we to say that was even her? Because it was based on her data and it looked like her, but the computer filled in the blanks. So it's something new based on something old. So it's a weird hybrid thing that I, I don't know. I even like in watching the episode, I felt a lot like Gordon because I forgot that she was a simulation. Mm -hmm. Like I was getting invested in the romance between the two and in that story. And I get that way a lot when I watch movies. I do forget that I'm watching movies. I fall into the story. And then when the credits Mm -hmm. roll, I'm like, oh, right. I'm not just a bystander of this. I'm me and I'm watching a movie. Yeah. I think for me, I've always been so any sort of thing, like if I see a continuity error or I see specific kinds of scenes in movies, I go, oh, I wonder how they did that. Mm -hmm. Or like I never I never allow myself to become fully lost in it, which I think is kind of tragic at times, because instead of being immersed in it, there's sometimes like there is a movie Mark and I watched the other day and she was swigging drinks and it's it was like a martini or something and we were talking about I wonder how much she had to pee after they shot this so instead of being like invested in yeah what is happening i always look at the real world application of it i get that too and i do that with movies as well but if a story is compelling enough i will kind of lose myself in it mm-hmm. i also did find even though i can totally see your perspective on it i found this to be a touching story from laura's perspective In the sense that she is someone who expressed earlier in the episode that she just wanted to be remembered for something. We don't know if her music Mm -hmm. career ever took off and if she got that kind of remembrance that way. But like Kelly said, she did manage to reach across centuries to touch a life that will not forget her. And I think there's something kind of beautiful about that. I think so, too. I'm trying to think of a way to like phrase it. But like there is all those things in the time capsule. Mm -hmm. People put T-shirts in and things like that, which are just tangible things. This is a different. I I don't know that I'd ever heard of someone putting a cell phone in a time capsule before. It's definitely a different medium to kind of see what would happen. There's something kind of exposing about that in a way like Mm -hmm. who knows what's on that phone. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, she wouldn't have had the forethought to think someone's going to put this into the simulator. However, I feel like Gordon should have had a conversation with some people to say, like, is this ethical? Yeah. And chances are they probably like, go for it. I mean, honestly, I think the thing is, I think Gordon's curiosity was more than just what's this world like? It was to meet her. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think my line kind of gets drawn, where it's not like, I want to see the 21st century is like, it's like, who's who is she? Because there's a pretty girl on the phone. I understand that. I guess I guess my way of rationalizing it is that. I imagine that if Gordon did live in her time period, if they met, things might have played out in a similar fashion. Yeah, but he also altered how he was as a person. I don't think that's wrong. I think everyone does in a way. I think you all alter yourself for different people. Like I act a certain way when I'm at work. I act a certain way for some friends. I act a certain way for other friends. And it's just based Mm on the... I don't even know what it's necessarily based on sometimes. Sometimes it's just your energy with that person. Yeah. That sounds very hippie-like, but sometimes it is really <laughs> just your energy. <laughs> the with, vibrations yeah, of the universe. You just have different <laughs> vibes with different people, and, and yeah. you get different responses from them. So I think, I don't think he was necessarily, he was, the only things he was lying about was the time period he came from. Everything else I thought was fairly authentic. 
he just seemed more subdued. Yeah. And I think, like he said, that's just the effect that she has on him. Yeah. So I guess in some ways, I think maybe because of how I view it, it makes me maybe distort or just kind of look at things with a more critical lens than being like, oh, my God, they're so cute together, which I wish I could be that way. But I think I just find myself, my brain always goes down this route of like, what are the ethics, which sometimes ruins the fun like it truly does. And so I don't think he did. I, I mean, I don't look at Gordon go. He's a bad man and he shouldn't have done this. Like it was more of how would she have felt about this if she knew? It's a question worth asking. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly think I probably wouldn't feel this way if they didn't sleep together. That is also a valid point. So if the whole thing was just like the music and we played games and they had a kiss, whatever. But I think when it went there, I kind of got that's when my brain goes, okay, the ethics and the morality of this, where does that fit in? Now you could. If it made you feel better, because there's <laughs> nothing explicitly saying that they slept together. They they do sleep in a bed together, but that's all we know. So if, if you want to headcanon it that way. I headcanon that that they did it because he was not in a lot of clothing. And I mean, I'm t- I don't know. It just I think it was implied. I think it was, too. So that that is true, though. I guess you get headcanon it the other way and be like, they just had a night together, but it affected his work. And then it also it got it got kind of mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> So while I want to root, I root for Gordon, but I want, I think in a lot of ways, I would rather him have the real thing than a thing that yeah. is artificial. I absolutely would too. Yeah. But I do agree. And I like the thought on the episode where it's like, she managed to touch your life so many centuries from where she originated from. And it just happened to go that route for him. But I think he was so open to it from the get go that it was the only option. Mm, I agree. Yeah. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. No, I think they're all completely valid thoughts. We simply have like different perspectives on what we can overlook and what we can't. Yeah. So for me, I see I see a love story like a tragic love story mm-hmm. and you debating the ethics, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. That's just different perspectives. I'm the person who's like, well, excuse me. <laughs> I would like to point out I'm the fun runer. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband, Mark, is a big fan of the Orville as well and always leaves us with his one sentence review. I wonder if the Tamagotchi from my fourth grade time capsule is still alive. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.